everyone to a podcast called I Went to Film School, a podcast about film school and life after film school. As you might know, this is not Zach doing this intro, and there is not even a single Zach Gladstone here today. It's just it's just myself and my good pal, Gabe. Gabe Lau, how, how's it going, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing well, uh, hanging in there. Um, this is my second time back since, I think, November of 2019. Mm-hmm. Returning special guest. That's yeah. right. No, was it already 2019? Right, because we because we actually were in person at that meeting. Yeah, we, were, we went to Zach's house, or well, the frat house at the time. We were in person, um, and we I remember having a really good time. So I was really excited to come back and do this this time instead of talking about uh, we're talking about things that I actually care about, and uh, instead of just my past experiences in uh, in school. So, um, yeah, really excited. And thanks for having me back on. I w- I've been bored as of late, obviously, because of uh, because of uh, lockdown. So this is good. This is this is something for me to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I echo that that same sentiment. Um, so for those of you, I mean, you, you probably clicked on this podcast knowing like you saw the title, like, oh, top 10 criteria. But yeah, like we are going to be counting down our personal list for the top 10 criterion collection uh, films or criterion editions, whatever you want to call them. Um, these are those movies that have that gray C on it. That means that it's good. That's just the rules of how cinema works. I don't, I don't make the rules. It's just, no, no, I'm kidding. But Criterion Collection, for those of you who don't know, it's uh, this company that uh, kind of reproduces, remasters, and redistributes films uh, from all over the planet, from basically every corner, but typically it's with an artistic sense in mind. Like it's kind of a hoity-toity or uh, artsy-fartsy, as some uh, people like to call it. Uh, I myself have sunken an unhealthy amount of money, like a, a, <laughs> uh, let's say a, a, a large sum of dollars uh, into a Criterion collection of my own. And recently I ruined, I mean, I got Gabe into uh, collecting them as well. Uh, what he's saying is that he's responsible for also corrupting me. <laughs> Wait, the, putting- the, yeah, the, a, a Criterion corruption, as it were. You can, yes. You can- Good way of putting it. Yeah. So, um, I mean, basically, yeah, As uh, this uh, is, of course, a subjective list. Uh, it's completely based on our opinions, our responses to the films that we watched. Not uh, Neither one of us has the same list, nor have we seen necessarily all the movies on each other's lists, uh, as far as I know. I don't know, if, I don't know about you, but this, this top 10 list was extremely difficult mm. for me. Like I, I, I struggled a lot, um, mm. even like listing these movies off. So what do I, what, what I do is like, I'll, whenever I see a movie, um, from this collection, I'll write it down and then I'll go back and just look at all the movies that I've seen from the collection. So if I do end up making a list of like maybe a top 20 or a top 30 or a top 50 or something like that in the near future, I can like, um, I remember what movies I've seen and what, you know, ones I have it so I can put on here. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, these are all movies that I recommend. These, like, I, if I could honestly put all these movies in like a giant number one spot, I would. But then that that would defeat the purpose of a top ten list. And I don't know about you, but I only have like I have one movie per director on here. Oh um, yes, yes, right, yeah. That I also abide by that rule. Right? Yeah, I 
be per director and I also don't have any ties. So I don't have any like two spots for number five or two spots for number three or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I tried to make this as top 10 as I could possibly make it. And, but um, with that being said, we also both have uh, a list of honorable mentions. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if they're not, but honorable (laughs) mentions are just films, at least for me, films that I wanted to have on here, but couldn't decide or they're all just kind of tied for number one in a way, but because, because they're in the honorable mentions list, it doesn't really count as a number one. So I think it's a loophole. And I think that <laughs> it's just, it's, it's very funny, but like the, the weird little cheats that we've, that, not just us, but like, you know, people have made, like, I love, I love actually going on the criterion collection website, like looking at like David Cronenberg's top 10 or, or, you know, like uh, Andrea Arnold's top 10 and you just see like three films tied for like number four and you're just, what? what? Like, how, how is this? <laughs> like 14 list at that point. It's not a top 10 list. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, okay. I guess we're just, you know, like it's just your favorite movie. But anyway, but yeah, we actually tried to keep to the conventional rules of a top 10. And I think we did a pretty good job. Like we, we both kind of know each other's lists, though we've been refinalizing it a bit. Um, and I think we're both, we're both kind of, we figured it out. We're, we're basically cinema gods at this point. Like I, I would say, like, yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Cool. I think our judgment is like super, super objective. Not very, like we we've decided the top 10 criterion editions. It's just the way it is now. Um, if you want, what we can do is we, we'll do my 10 and then your 10 and then we'll go my nine, your nine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that. Cool. Uh, okay, so for number 10, I have uh, a movie called Riot in Cell Block 11 uh, by Don Eagle from 1954. Um, this is spine number 704. Gotta write, gotta, gotta mention the spine numbers. That's right. Gotta do that. Um, so real quick, the premise of this is um, a group of inmates. Uh, by the way, like the, I've written premises for all my top 10 ones. Um, uh, I, I, I I decided to do that instead of just going on like Google or the IMDb page and just writing down the premise there. Cause I might have, I might have interpreted a different way than whoever wrote the, um, the thing for the page. So anyway, um, yeah, a group of inmates basically start a riot and they hold a bunch of these like prison guards hostage and they use them to basically blackmail the warden, um, into getting him to look at like this list of demands that they have. Um, and basically it's just, they're trying to get society to, to take a look at like the neglect and abuse that happens behind prison walls. So this movie came out in 1954. And like I said before, and it's, it, it took place around the rise and I guess like prison riots in the fifties. I didn't actually know this before, but apparently um, it was a really, really big thing where they would start riots all over prisons in the States. And then they would actually be broadcasted over the news and people were like, you know, they would hang like, they would hang like, um, like, like signs outside of the prisons being like, take a look at like the, the abuse and stuff. Like you have to look into this. Um, so one, one thing I love about this movie is that it's actually not a prison escape movie. I know that you've seen it. Cause I, I showed you that when I was over your house. Um, it's not a prison escape movie. They're not trying to break out of prison. These guys know that they're in there. They're in prison for life, whether for whatever it is they've done, they're just trying to get, they're just trying to fight against the mistreatment of the prison. Mm-hmm. Um, so reasons I like this is because, well, first off, it's a black and white film. It's kind of like a film noir esque um, thing with like uh, great uses of like shadows and like harsh silhouettes and stuff like that. 
Um, there's great balance of symmetry in a lot of the establishing shots. Like in basically every prison movie that ever exists, there's like that iconic shot of like the, uh, the rows and rows of prison cells um, going down straight to the middle like that with like a guard walking up and down the middle. Um, I think that I, it's just very, very visually appealing um, to look at. Uh, sometimes there'll be like scenes where the uh, the prisoners are like breaking out of their cells to go do something and like they're hidden in the shadows. Meanwhile, like the guard above him is lit up um, and you can really see the contrast between like the um, uh, the the shots there and stuff like that. Some of the some of the action scenes are amazing, like that scene where they break out and they start the riot. It's just like like a wide shot of like all these prisoners running out, they're like throwing chairs and lighting stuff on fire. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, it's extremely suspenseful. Uh, it's, it's at like, okay. So here's another thing that I want to mention as well. I tried my very hardest to not like when I was writing these, I tried my very hardest to not spoil anything. Cause I do think these are all movies that you have to watch. Mm. Um, however, I might break some of those rules. <laughs> Sometime. Go ahead. Go ahead. Spoilers go. from here on out for all of these movies we're going to be talking about, I guess. Just the warning of spoilers. Sorry. Go on. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That that that's fair. Um, but the reason I bring that up is because the ending is not what you expect it to be. And that's why it kind of resonates with you. At least for me, it resonated with me. Um I I I think uh when I brought this movie up to you, I I introduced it like, dude, this is a movie where you picture like you and the boys in prison <laughs> breaking trying to like you know trying to beat the shit out of these guards for mistreatment and uh um it's all about justice you know mm-hmm. so um yeah that this one's this one's a little higher on my my, my list because it, it for me it is kind of just the rewatch value for me really isn't there um it's kind of just like a one-time thing um Again, it's just great for visuals. The hmm. message that you take away, I guess, is just like, please look at violence behind prison walls, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, and it's, yeah, no, I remember the first time you showed that movie to me, and uh, I thought, I was thinking that it would be a very similar to some of the other prison films, like, um, well, I don't know if it's on your list. There might be a spoiler for a future, but like Brute Force or... Um, or even um, The Great Escape or kind of various other films that feature a lot of prison imagery. Exactly. What I was expecting was there, yeah, like you said, kind of a traditional breakout, some kind of like, even in that, uh, what's that that French movie, A Man Escaped, where that's like very like, it's an uneventful prison, prison escape movie. But typically when you think about a prison movie, almost all the time it's about getting out. But in this, it's actually about, as you said, the conditions that the prisoners have to face. I loved this film. Once you showed it to me, I was like, yo, I, I bought a copy of it myself. Actually, I, <laughs> it was just so good. Um, but I agree. I also agree with your point. It's like rewatch value. I don't know if I'm going to be rewatching it as much as many other films that I have in my collection, but it's still really good. Yeah. And I, yeah, big fan, big, big yeah. fan. I mean, it, it's, it, um, I was reading the essay in uh in the booklet and i think uh so the um i i could be totally wrong about this um i could just grab the manual and take a look but i'm not going to do that um i think that either the guy who wrote the story 
or the director was actually in prison for a while and he basically saw like the horrors of what happened mm. behind the the, the, um, the prison walls and that's actually why he made the story apparently that's like a that's a thing that was mentioned briefly in the essay wow um, i didn't i didn't know that that's that's crazy that's like I actual said, experience well, I meant to say essay not manual that's <laughs> how to watch this uh, they're all essays. sorry i'm still in like game mode you know like when you have like for video games it's not like that they're essays um so yeah that that's my top 10 spot right um so to contrast <laughs> that great very watchable very still heady and smart and complex but just very like accessible film my t- my number 10 <laughs> is a movie called my winnipeg by guy madden um, it is spine number 741. It was released in, I think, if I can say, uh, 2007. And trying to describe this movie is kind of like, and, and like a lot of people say this about like any kind of weird film. It's like, oh, it's like an acid trip. But this film is more like a memory acid trip. Uh, and it, if you know Guy Madden, uh, he's a Canadian filmmaker. Like, oh yeah, my Winnipeg, right? You'd think. But What's great about my Winnipeg is that it is kind of like this, this bizarre trip through not only his childhood, but his like his adult thoughts reflecting on his childhood. So I guess I'll just say this. It's a it's a film essay. It's not really a traditional film. It's kind of like a bizarre documentary where Guy Madden recreates through the, you know, like with actors and stuff, moments from his childhood that he kind of has very bizarre memories of. It's connected with like his voiceover kind of as like a narrator and it just goes to weird places. Like just like, I mean, granted the, the intro to the film has this like very bizarre moment where like he keeps on zooming in to a part in Winnipeg, I think on the map. And then it just cuts to like a woman's vagina randomly. And then it cuts back. Like it's, it's kind of one of those types of things. Um, a lot of experimental imagery, a lot of kind of like jarring editing that you're just like, you're watching it and you're just like, okay, what what is Guy? Guy, you got to be more clear here. But I think that the reason that I've, I've grown to like it so much is when I first saw it, um, I was in, I was at York. Whoa, film school, am I right? But like, and I first saw it and I kind of thought that this movie was kind of dumb. Like I was like, okay, I, I kind of see what's going on here, but it wasn't totally interesting me all that much. But then the more I sat about it and the more I thought, on, like it wasn't even, I wasn't even watching it for an assignment, but like I just was thinking about it and I was like on the bus home from, from York. And I was like, man, you know, actually there is kind of a lot in a lot of interesting things going on in this movie. <laughs> um and some great imagery. I think like pr- probably the most iconic that you see everyone, like if you look up my Winnipeg on Google images, the first thing you're probably going to see aside from like the, the, the box art is the images of like these horse heads that are kind of like frozen in a, what looks like a tundra. And um, so again, I actually don't really want to go too much into, it's just about Guy Madden's childhood, but it's also about a few other things about like Winnipeg. It's about the history of Canada about how geography works it's it's a very bizarre film but i think that that's why i like it because there there isn't a lot else like it out there and um it's it's kind of what inspires me a bit with my essays and stuff now because i think guy madden as a director isn't afraid to kind of find the 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 weird shit in his own head he's a lot like 
you could call him kind of like a Canadian David Lynch almost in terms of like the very bizarre lengths to the weird imagery that he's willing to put on screen, the kind of weird, the, the sexual stuff, the childhood stuff, the all that, all that weird, like kind of content rich, you know, subconscious crap. He is not afraid to put it on screen. And that's why I really like it. So yeah. Nice. That's a movie I haven't seen, but every time I'm over at your place and we're editing or we're, we're hanging out or whatever, I always see that movie in that little box you have. <laughs> and uh, I always pull it out and look at it. And I'm just like, this is probably some shit that he would like. And I wouldn't. <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, I, I won't lie. Like, it's not a very watchable movie. Like, you don't get your friends together. And like get the beers and you know you're like yeah let's let's watch some guy mad and experimental essay film it's like no no one's like, <laughs> but it is at the same time well I think actually like you'd probably dig it I think you just kind of it's one of those movies that you have to go into it kind of like already wanting to kind of anal or not analyze it but like to understand it it's a very artsy fartsy movie like it's it's it is. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's esoteric. Like it's so incomprehensibly weird. Like it's not like Brackage where it's just like, here's a moth that I cut up into pieces and put on a film reel. That's the film. It's not like that, mm. but it is very, uh, I hate to like sound really pretentious already, like only on number 10 and I'm already sounding pretentious, but like it, it's highly complex. It is kind of a little bit of a puzzle of a film, but at the same time, it's also very personal. And I think that like he talks about a lot of childhood memories that I think I related to, despite not really like, you know, they weren't like my memories, but for some reason there's like an atmosphere and sensibility that guy has that I think I related to quite a bit. Nice. But yeah. That's my number 10. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. Uh, we'll move to number nine now. Yeah. Number nine. Let's go. Okay. So for number nine, I have uh La N. Or how, as how we pronounce it. <laughs> um, so this movie is a French black and white film by uh, Matthew Kazovitz from 1995, and it's spine number 381. Um, this is this is actually one of the first movies that I watched off the collection, um, and it's one that you showed me. And uh, ever since, I, I've been in love. This movie actually like floated up and down the list for a long time. I just didn't know where to put it. Um, but after some thought, I decided to put it in number nine. So uh, the premise is uh, basically a young kid is killed in the projects of France by um, the police during the riots and stuff. And three friends find a gun amidst the riots and they threaten to kill a cop if uh, their friend dies, who is the kid that, that I mentioned in the beginning. Um, and that basically just starts a series of events that takes place, that, that takes them through their little journey. Um, so... This is a this is a movie that I think was also uh, written in the time of like somewhere between I think like eighty five and like ninety four when in France there were like riots because people like young kids in the projects were getting killed by police. Mm -hmm. um, I think the director Matthew Kazovitz like briefly mentions that in the essay um, on the second disc. Um, so these kids. Uh, deal with violence drugs and they're basically just like for the entire film they're they're confronted with like hefty situations with life-changing consequences um and i guess narrative wise it speaks about like different types of social classes in those areas at the time 
Um, you know, like these friends don't have jobs. They don't, they don't go to school. They aren't rich. Like they live in the projects and it's kind of like how people like that respond to things around them. Um, mm-hmm. I, I almost feel like this is kind of an adventure film mm-hmm. in a way they uh, it's, it's, I, again, I tried to explain this by summing it up and I ended up just like basically summarizing the entire film and I didn't want to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's shot extremely well. Um, I think the, one of the most memorable things about this film is that one taxi driver shot um, mm. where I think, um, I don't remember the actor's name, but the main dude, the guy who plays Vince is, uh, he's staring into the mirror and there's like a slow push in from the back of his head. And when he ducks down to, he's like, he's brushing his teeth. And as he ducks down to spit the water out, um, they just, it tra- it kind of like transitions into like, just like the close up of him doing the, uh, the taxi driver narrative, like the, um, monologue from, from, uh, taxi driver like the uh robert with robert de niro and he's just like um it, it it's kind of like it's sh- it shots like that 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 made me just i was just so amazed when i saw that because even now i don't actually know how they did that shot if you're not sure what i'm talking about just go on youtube and search up uh let n uh mirror shot or taxi driver and you'll know exactly what i'm talking about but that shot fucking blew my mind um yeah it's extremely it's shot extremely well uh the soundtrack as well is is, is amazing um like that song len is actually in the movie and i actually played that at work a lot so much so to the point where like spotify actually made that song like my most played song in 2020 <laughs> um I, I i had it just playing at work when i sat in the back so i never actually listened to it that many times but spotify was like oh you really like this song don't you so here, here's number one on your <laughs> your uh, Spotify list from 2020. Um, so the movie is the movie is an hour and 40 minutes long, but I feel like they fit so much into this film that it feels longer, but in a good way. Um, there are movies that are like three and a half hours long that feel like three and a half hours and not a lot of things happen. Like one movie that comes to mind is like Solaris. <laughs> now that movie is ungodly boring. Um, but uh, a movie like like La End, for example, you know, I, I, like I said, it, it fits so much in, and every single scene has a kind of uh, element to it that keeps you engaged. Uh, it's amazingly written, like it's in French, but they, there's so many like quotable lines. Um, like in the beginning scene when uh, Syed, like one of the three friends, is like, art, like he's like yelling up at the apartment for where his friend is and stuff. He goes inside, and they're just like, oh, like fuck your or your mother or whatever just just this and that it's like every every single time i'm reading like the subtitles and i just kind of laugh to myself it's like well this is uh, uh there, there's a kind of there's some part of me wants to like i want to kind of see this movie in english just to see how it would sound how, how different mm-hmm. it would, would sound mm-hmm. um there are moments where they're super super intense but there are also moments where they're just casually having a conversation um mm-hmm. like there's sequence where there's a kid who just sits at the park and he's just talking about a tv show and like it really amounts to nothing but um that sequence is completely added like he just he told the kid to sit there and just talk about nonsense um but one line that sticks with me is a line that's said near the end of the film and i, I wrote it down here i'm just gonna read this for being so um 
So it says it's a, it's about a society on its way down. And as it falls, it keeps telling itself so far, so good, so far, so good, so far, so good. It's not how you fall that matters. It's how you land. And I think that that quote makes a lot more sense after watching the film, especially what happens mm-hmm. end, which again, I don't really want to spoil it. Um, I didn't see the ending coming, but man, is it dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. La la Chain or Latin or I don't know, Latin, Latin, however you want to pronounce this. I remember, yeah, I remember the first time I saw it and uh, I was thinking like, yeah, and this is such a unique film. And then it ends and you're like, you're devastated. You're, you're confused. Like, it, yeah, it probably I think has like one of the greatest endings to any film ever. I think it's just so good. I, I mean, it's kind of spoilery, but that one scene with the guy, I think they're trying to get drugs from or something. And he's just like playing with his gun on his hand and shit. And like the whole, that whole scene is like tense as hell. Oh my God. It's just so good. Yeah. And uh, there's that sequence where um, uh, they're in the bathroom and that old man is just in the one stall is taking a shit and he just comes out and he's talking about his friend who tried to catch this train, but like his pants were around his ankle so he couldn't make it. And he ended up freezing to death. And, uh, and when he walks out of the bathroom, the characters are just standing there and, and the one kid's side is just like, why did he tell us that? And like, it's never, <laughs> it's never explained at the end. Like it, they never even go back to it. They, he just kind of tells the story and then they move on. Um, but yeah, that, that it's, uh, it's, it's a great, it's a great film. Again, like I said earlier, it, it flowed, it floated up and down my top 10 list for a very long time. My number nine is, uh, <laughs> it's funny that you were talking about Solaris being like, Super bo- which it is. It's very boring. But I think I might have a more boring film as my number nine. It's stalker. Sure. Yes, I was just. About to, <laughs> I was. I was just about to say. I, I wanted to. I wanted to bring that up, but I ended up. I'm going to Solaris. I had a. It was going to be on your list, but um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No. No. That the, I um. Stalker is uh, stalker by Andre Tarkovsky. Spine number eight eight eight, which I think they intended, because like. There's a lot of imagery in Stalker that has to do with like loops and closed loops. So of course, like it's by number eight, eight, eight. I don't know. There's there's so much shit to Stalker. Um, without going too much into the plot, uh, it's about a group of guys, like Russian dudes. Some of them are engineers and scientists, and they're going into this place called the Zone. And the Zone is this area that is very mysterious. We don't really ever learn much about the rules of it or how it works. They think that you can get a wish from it and they kind of go in like that. But really, the film is basically just an excuse to like ramble on about Russian philosophy for like <laughs> so long. <laughs> and like, um, but the reason that I have it here is because I think that it's maybe, it was the first Tarkovsky movie I think I watched, unless I watched... Actually, no, I watched Solaris before it, but Solaris, while it's good and while it's got a lot going for it, Stalker to me has, I think, way more iconic imagery. It has a really great sense of style and form to it. And I think that the content that it deals with is really fascinating in that I think that it's kind of talking about the nature of reality. It's talking about how our memories and how our personal life draws us to objects of desire that we don't even know what we want, but we're kind of moving towards it. And I think that's what the zone is. It's very long, very boring, full of a lot of slow shots of, you know, weird, bizarre imagery. But I think that's kind of why I like it. It has the very bizarre sci-fi charm that 
through it not explaining itself, it kind of retains this this sense of mystery every time you rewatch it. Um, it's also based on Russian novels, and there's even video games that came out based on it that are that are much more approachable. They're like first person shooters with mutants that you can shoot and kill. They're 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 just they're just I think more approachable than the film. But still, I think if you even just want to do like one Tarkovsky movie or something like that, like something that you know you've heard about this like super artsy director who just takes his time on every shot and is very philosophical and crap like that. Watch Stalker. I I definitely recommend it. Um, yeah, I think I'll leave it there. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, um, I borrowed Stalker from you. I've only seen this movie one time, mm-hmm. and uh, I miss you a lot. But but one time uh, I had my girlfriend over, and we were trying to watch a movie, and uh, I brought down um, Stalker because uh, you told me it was going to be an amazing film. Uh, <laughs> And it is. It's a really good movie. I actually really enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it a little better than Solaris because Solaris was actually just like you. I think the first Tarkovsky film I'd seen. Mm. And uh, so I brought it down, and she she read the back, and she was like, "I want to watch this. This this, this sounds cool." <laughs> I think um, she she read that it was like it was like a post apocalyptic kind of world, and I guess she thought it was going to be like Mad Max, um, <laughs> which is complete. Like it's it's not at all like Mad Max. There's, no, there's yeah. no remotely close to being we watched it and uh halfway through the film she just looks at me and she goes this is really boring and i'm like i know sorry <laughs> um yeah i i think i'll eventually have to give that one another watch um i would look at some like uh analysis videos on youtube about what most people thought about it um i, I saw this one video that i think um the dude talked about uh it also being about like faith in a way mm-hmm. yeah a lot of hidden hidden uh messages that uh i think just about anyone can delve into and uh find their own kind of uh explanations mm-hmm. and uh so yeah it's, it's a good one yeah there, there's it's it is uh it's what i would call a dense film and not dense in the sense that it's stupid like dense in the sense that it's full of shit like there's just so much stuff you could talk about um just to quickly close on Stalker and we can move to number eight. Um, there's an excellent book just about Tarkovsky and his films by Robert Byrd, who's a great film historian and scholar. And his take on Stalker is great. Um, if I could put it into a simple sentence, <laughs> I would. But I'll just say that, yes, actually, you bring up a great point. Faith, as well as a collection of kind of other themes that are, while connected, and while very much like part of like a, a, a Russian specific history, they're also kind of these great sci-fi ter- uh, sci-fi ideas and themes that kind of apply to anyone at any time about like just, you know, like I, I think the zone is like one of the greatest fictional ideas ever. It's so cool. Just the idea of this like mysterious place that you go to. I, I don't know. It's I, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Stalker. But uh, yeah, I think that's my number eight. Or uh, that's my number nine. Nine, yeah. Yeah. So uh, for number eight, speaking of uh, movies that you can delve deep into, uh, I have Mulholland Drive at number eight. Mm, At number Uh, eight? Okay. Yeah. So Mulholland Drive at number eight by David Lynch from 2001, and it's spine number 779. Um, So this, I, I messaged you last night 
as I was trying to write the premise to this. And I, all I, I remember was saying was, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't really explain what this movie is about um, without spoiling in a sense, but anyone who knows anything about David Lynch knows that like all of his films are like this. You, you can't have, you can't really explain anything that this guy has. Even sometimes I feel like it, Sometimes I feel like he doesn't even know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, just real quick. Uh, it, it's about Betty, who is a girl who moves to Hollywood. Uh, she's played by Naomi Watts. Moves to Hollywood to pursue an acting career. And she crosses pa- uh, she crossed paths with um, this mysterious lady played by Laura Haring, who, after a car accident, can't remember her identity. So they go on... A uh, little little adventure together to try and uh, figure out who her who she is. Um, that's what I have written down. However, it's not actually about that either. Uh, it goes much much deeper than what I just explained. Um, and in fact, David Lynch on the back of the uh, the, the the movie he says that it's about uh, it's a love story in the city of dreams. Um. And I guess in a way, I, I, I guess I would categorize this as like a psychological thriller with a bit of a romance touch um, to it, depending on how you look at it. Mm. Uh, but basically, the story is extremely engaging because you don't entirely understand what's going on. And I guess you could really say this about any David Lynch movie. Um, there's, an, there's like a mysterious feeling you get when you're watching. It's fun seeing uh, Betty and this other lady piece together all the... Uh, all the uh, little bits to her identity. And as you're watching, you're kind of just like also figuring out other things that could also be happening on the side, which is really important because like I said, it's not actually about them looking for this girl's identity. Mm. Um, uh, so yeah, you as the viewer, you're trying to figure out what's going on. Things take a crazy, crazy turn after the uh, iconic silencio scene which if you haven't seen the movie, it, it, it kind of like, it's kind of the, the, uh, the part that starts off the third act where things really take a crazy turn. And, um, I was, again, I was watching this with my girlfriend and she understood everything up until that point, just like I'm sure a lot of people did. And I'll be honest, the first time I saw this movie, I didn't know what to even think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, it does get easier upon the second watch after you've read like other people's analysis and like theories and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, anyway, like Naomi Watts is an incredible actress. She goes through basically every emotion and book in this film from like happiness in the beginning to like sadness, to frustration, to confusion. Um, rewatch value for me is a hundred percent. Like it's off the charts. I would watch this movie a thousand times and basically just try and pick out little bits of symbolism and try and explain what I think is trying to get across. Um, I would add, this is definitely a movie that you can analyze a hundred times over and find different things every time is what I'm saying. Oh yeah. Um, no doubt. I, I, this was on my, this was actually on my number one spot for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Cause I really find another movie that got me thinking as much as um, a Holland drive. Um, but whenever people ask me, about like a film that I really like that that's like a deep movie. I, I usually recommend this one because it, it'll keep you busy for forever. Mm. You know? Um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's incredible. I, I love this movie so much. Um, 
I don't really, I don't really know what else to say about it other than you just have to watch it to understand. Yeah. I think that's one of like the best qualities about most David Lynch movies, but especially Mulholland Drive is that like, um, a simple explanation or even an in-depth explanation won't be enough. You have to watch it. Like you just have to actually experience this film because it goes in places that. So I, one of the, one of the interesting things I would also say is that it's really similar to my favorite movie and also like my number one, I won't say what it is yet, but I think I know what it is. Yeah. It, it, it plays a lot of the, it, it plays with a lot of same things, like especially like the nature of performance what are we as the audience really watching? Are we watching characters that are like genuinely performing or is there a level of irony to their performance that makes it like, I don't know, like uh harder to understand what level, like, are we in like the real world when we're watching it of the story or is the story like hyper exaggerated in ways that we don't know? There's so many, like, you know, it's going to sound so super lame. I, when it comes to jump scares in movies, I'm such a, like, I'm a little wuss when it comes to jump scares. Like, you could have the most tame jump scare ever, and I will, like, leap off my seat. You'll break your pants. I will break my pants. Yeah, I will, like, end my pants' whole career. Like, it is it is bad. But <laughs> here's the thing. No other film scared me quite as much as Mulholland Drive's it's kind of a spoiler to say that there is a jump scare, but I don't, I won't say when it happens because I think that you should be surprised by the first time you see it. Um, it's just, Oh, like, I, it's like, I, I, and I don't have any other, normally I find jump scares to be what I was going to say is normally what I find jump scares to be really cheap in horror movies. Now they don't necessarily have to be like, there's a jump scare. There's only like one in alien, which I love. It, you know, if it's used well, it can it can be amazing. But for typically, I find a lot of jump scares and especially contemporary horror, it's a little cheap. You know, I, anyone can be scared by a jump scare. David Lynch's jump scare has meaning. Like, since when does a jump scare have there, meaning? It, exactly. That, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, the uh, the jumps, the one jump scare that happens in Mulholland Drive. Um, again, yeah, I agree with that. If there is a meaning to it. And again, you just got to watch the movie to understand. Yeah. 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 That's basically where I can leave it. Um, Great number eight pick, man. I, I was expecting it to be higher. So this is very interesting hearing that it's eight. Yep. I, I, yeah, like I said, it was, it was going to be, it was my number one for a long time, but mm. um, there's another movie that, that knocked it off. It's knocked it off the ladder, but we'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. So um, right. yeah, that's my pick. Okay. Well, okay. Great. So great pick. Not my number eight, which I think it might be on your list too. I don't want to assume things. It's uh, 12 Angry Men by Sidney Lumet. Uh, it's spine number 591. And I believe it was released according to this Criterion DVD I'm holding right now in 1957. Um, 12 Angry Men is pretty well known amongst Hollywood, amongst the history of cinema. But I still think it doesn't get enough credit. Uh, because when it comes to a simple drama, just a drama, like a human drama story, man, does it nail it. I think it's got this amazing cast of characters, which on the outset, we don't really know much about. But by the end of it, despite it kind of being a film that almost works in real time, like it really almost is just kind of like a few hours with this group of, of 12 angry, pissed off men. Um, it really works. It's about the film is itself. The story is about a jury 
that's uh, kind of randomly selected. It all happens to be a bunch of men. Um, and they're kind of uh, tasked with judging the fate of this young guy who's been convicted for sta- for a stabbing. For I believe stabbing his parent, his father or his mother. Yeah. I'm not. The father. father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, and there's a variety of things that we as the audience learn more as the their conversation goes. We don't actually see that much of the court. I, I believe there's like one or two shots of the actual court scene itself. For the most part, all the stuff that we learn is through the conversation of these guys kind of deliberating. And without getting too much more into it, um, it's just great. Like, it's just so good. You could show this movie to anyone and they're hooked. Like, it's so captivating. Um, the acting. I think, I, you know, like, sure, maybe this is kind of the thing that everyone will talk about with 12 Your Men. You know, like, maybe you want to talk about the script or, like, how it was a TV production first or it's it's like a... St- the acting in this movie is so good. Like, it's just... It, it, it's It's so subtle. It's realistic, and yet it still kind of has that 50s Hollywood quality. I don't know how to, else to explain it, but at that same time, even though you know you, you watch like a, sh- a movie from the 1950s and or especially a Hollywood film, most of the time the dialogue is almost so well spoken for and so performed that you can kind of tell oh, these aren't real people. These are people reading from a script. This movie, 12 Angry Men, manages to do that while also feeling realistic and emotional and powerful and like human. It's so agree. Yeah. This movie, that, that, this movie really, really caught me like the first time, first time I watched it. Like I I've seen it multiple times since. And I think it's definitely one of the greatest, like one of the greatest like courtroom dramas ever made, if not Mm -hmm. the courtroom drama ever made. Um, It's got like, and yeah, one thing I want to bring up is that like thematically it's, it speaks on so many different levels. Like people can get different kinds of ideas of what the narrative of what it actually means and this and that. One thing I want to bring up that's interesting is that throughout the entire time, you don't actually know any of the names of these, of these guys that are in the room, Mm -hmm. which to me is kind of like who they are. Like it doesn't matter who they are. It's just, this is the situation that's in front of them right now. Um, And I guess this is kind of touching on spoiler territory, but I guess I'll, I'll keep it at a minimum. Um, like you said, it's about, a, it's about a, a bunch of guys who are trying to determine whether a kid that stabbed his father is guilty or not guilty. That takes a backseat to, to the other themes in that. So what, whether or not this, this kid did it or not is not important. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not. If that, that's actually, that that's that's one thing I had when I was watching this for the first time. Um, I, I I was thinking that maybe at the end they were going to figure out whether or not this kid did it, but they don't address it again, which is interesting. And um, that that's why I think it's so amazing because they use this idea of um, is the kid guilty or not, and they they use that to trampoline off into like this whole other whole other narrative that just has to be analyzed after watching a film so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah definitely man, for sure yeah it's i think i'll only I'll, I'll quickly conclude just by saying i think yeah it's it's one of the like you said it's probably maybe it's my favorite courtroom film of all time easily and and also 
the Criterion Edition itself, like the, the disc, I have the DVD version, is so cool. It has these amazing paintings of all of the 12 men. And like, of course, um, I think it's Henry Fonda, I believe, uh, is like kind of in the middle of it with his colors being slightly off because at the beginning of the film, this is basically spoiling, he's the only one who doesn't cast the guilty vote. He's the only one to say not guilty. And then because a jury has to be consent, it has to have consensus, they they deliberate. And that's basically where the film starts. Mm. And it's just so good. And the booklet inside, if you want to see the paintings up close, um, because like kind of on the front cover, it's like a Brady Bunch style collection of all the portraits. You can see all of like, they look like oil paintings or, or some kind of painting. Yeah, it's yeah. just so nice. Just the way that they use red and yellow. I think that's kind of their palette. It's just, mwah, mwah. I'm doing a, I'm, you can't, listeners can't tell, but I'm doing a, a Italian chef's kiss. Like, mwah, mwah. bellissimo. He's, he's taking off his shirt and he's kissing his, no, I'm just <laughs> he's, he's taking off his clothes. No, um, so, so yeah, uh, 12 Angry Men, uh, it's it's some really it's some really good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was your number eight. Now we're moving on to number seven. That's right. Cool. Okay. So number number seven on my list, uh, ironically, is Seven Samurai by Akira Kurosawa from 1954. This is spy number two. Um, and I'd like to I like to joke around and say that the whole reason like like movies exist is because of Kurosawa. <laughs> you know but um anyway yeah so anyone who's seen this film knows exactly what i'm talking about this was extremely hard for me to pick because i wanted to put a kurosawa movie on my list i just didn't know which one to put mm. um i'm a huge fan of the samurai films that he makes uh there's so many good ones like yeah Gyojimbo, thorn of blood um the hidden fortress mm-hmm. but seven samurai in my opinion is the one that takes the cake um it's about a small village who a small village of farmers and they're basically threatened by a gang of bandits and um, the farmers seek help from these seven samurai who are only willing to work for like little bits of food. Um, and they basically come back to the village and help the farmers fight off these bandits, which if you've seen Bugs Life, <laughs> exactly. um, I actually, you know, it's funny. I, I think you were the one that brought that up to me. I don't remember. But I remember uh, when I when I saw this film, I thought about that and I'm like, holy shit, it is it is literally Bugs Life. It's it's the <laughs> same thing. Like the, the little ant, I forgot his name, goes out and gets the uh, the circus bugs to fight back against the grasshoppers. Um so yeah, I wrote down for my talking points, yeah, it's basically Bugs Life with Samurai. Um <laughs> but there there's such this is like the grand slam cast of of like japanese golden age samurai actors like tashira mufune tatsuya nakadai um the dude that plays an icker i don't remember his name i'm also forgetting watanabe's Sh- name let me or like that yeah well i call him ikuru man <laughs> uh, but yeah that's um, fair tashira mufune is phenomenal by the way like those three guys i like to compare them to like those three guys are like the the Bill Lugosi, Lon Chaney, and the Boris Karloff of like samurai films, like what those guys were in a horror. Yes, um, that's so, such a good comparison. Exactly. So the action scenes are off the charts. Like it's like anyone that's seen any Kurosawa film knows that this guy is no stranger to composition. Like the way he composites all the the wide angle shots of like 
something's happening way off in the background, but there's so much movement going on in the foreground. It's just revolutionary. Um, as we all know, uh, the greatest director of all time, George Lucas. Um, <laughs> basically, everything from Kurosawa films and made Star Wars with them. You know, like for example, like Hidden Fortress was was the whole inspiration for for Star Wars. Um, and so, so many scenes are memorable. Like one of my favorite parts of the, the many ones are, are the uh, when they're auditioning the samurai. You know, when they have uh, the one guy who's like standing by the corner with the stick and uh, um, Ikaru man sits there and he's just like, tell that samurai to walk in. And just when he comes in, just swing that piece of wood and try and hit him on the head. If he can defend himself without knowing you're there, then he's a good candidate. You know, that that whole sequence was super fun to watch. Um, I like that Tashira Mifune's character is he's not just like a wise samurai that he is in a lot of his other movies that he's in. Like a throne of blood, he's like this like super um serious, like harsh, like war general who like all he wants to do is kill everybody and just win. Mm. Um this movie, he's the complete opposite. He's like a belligerent drunk who like stumbles into the, the house that they're staying in and uh he tries to like the other samurai that are in there, like basically just fuck with them for for a couple minutes. And that's a whole other thing to talk about where he's just running around. They're taking his sword and they're like playing like um like hot potato with it as he runs around. Um, so many lovable characters, like one that comes off, uh, uh, off the top of my head is the, uh, the guy who, who chops wood, because I one sequence where, uh, um, there's one of the samurai who's like, he's just chopping up wood. And then, uh, the guy who's going out to look for them is just like, Oh, Hey, uh, you know, you're really good with that ax. And then the, the guy who's chopping is just like, yeah, you should see how I cut down men. Like so many like memorable characters and memorable lines. Um, I, I, I kind of like to think of it like just like any other Kurosawa film, the camera itself is almost like a character. Like in the final battle scene, which is I think the, one of the greatest fight scenes of all time, is just there's so much happening. Like all like there's like horses that are just running around and like the the rain and the mud. Tashir Mufune standing there with no armor on. He doesn't even have a shirt. He's just shirtless and he's just like chopping down the bandits with his sword. Um, it's so it's so it's super chaotic and just. You're, you're sitting there and you're just thinking to yourself, like when I was watching this, I was like, man, I wouldn't even know what to do if I was in that scenario. Like I just pictured myself sitting there in the middle of all this chaos happening um, as like a farmer. And it's just like, I would be fucking shitting my pants. Yeah. You know, there's so much on screen, so much happens. Um, but at the same time, they can also really touch on like different emotions. Like I, there's that one scene where um, the, there's this one farmer who finds out that his daughter is hooking up with one of the young samurai. And that's a whole scene where he's just like, the farmers are like, you, you can't have these samurai come in. Cause all they're going to do is they're just going to like rape all their women and, and this and that, because they have power and we don't, we're just like these measly old, like farmers that can't defend themselves. Uh, and, um, and I, I am going to spoil that part. It really, really doesn't have anything to do with the overall thing but like yeah he finds out that one of the samurai is hooking up with his daughter and he's like beating her on the street and stuff and it's all emotional and everyone comes around and the rest of the samurai are just like hey man like it's normal this is what happens maybe he you know you guys could die at the end of this and they're just two young kids just just let them love like there is love behind war which is a great message that i think that the movie portrays mm -hmm. um i i guess that's basically it, man. This is definitely a film that you have to watch. This is this is uh like without a doubt probably contender for like 
greatest film of all time easily. I'm just going to say it. It, it, mm-hmm. it. It's up there for sure. Um, yeah. The, uh, one thing I want to, I think the last thing I'll talk about is that the movie is around three and a half hours long, which I, I mentioned to you before when I saw this film, it did not feel like three and a half hours. It, it was a breeze to sit through. There is an intermission halfway through the film. Um, I skipped the intermission and just continued on because I felt like I was so invested at that point. I didn't even want to take a break. I was just like, I just want to know what happens. Um, yeah, th- th- this is this is an incredible film. Uh, I I wanted to put this higher up on my list, but for uh, for some reason I can't remember. I don't have it. Um, maybe I'll bring it up another time. But um, yeah, Seven Samurai at number seven for me. Yeah, that's that again. I, I it's just an amazing pick. I love I love Seven Samurai so much. Um, by the way, uh, that actor's name, who I often like to call the the Tom Hanks of Japan, uh, or at least <laughs> the Tom Hanks of the golden age of Japanese cinema, is Takashi Shimura. Yes, um, yes. And uh, yeah, sorry, I just I just uh, looked up his name because uh, I too forgot. But man, yo, like Seven Samurai, it's so good. You can watch most modern films. Most contemporary films are somewhat based on Kurosawa's techniques of filmmaking. It's just so good, man. It's like yeah, it, it, it's as as George Lucas would put it. Um, it's like poetry. Uh, you know, that they they rhyme. I don't know if you get that reference. You're, you're <laughs> pretty cool in my book. If you understand you're, that, you're a real one. If you real. Um, yeah. So. It is funny that you also had a Kurosawa movie at your seventh spot uh, because I, too, have a Kurosawa movie at my seventh spot. I moved it. It it, it bumped around. This used to be my second favorite film of all time, but now not as much. It's still really, really good, though. I still love this film. And that is Ikiru, (laughs) which Ikiru, man, like we were just. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Also by Kurosawa. This is spine number two, two, one. Um, or 221, and this was released uh, in 1952. Ikiru is essentially about an old Japanese bureaucrat who kind of runs part of, he's a big part of the city council that he lives in. Uh, randomly, out of the blue, he finds out that he has stomach cancer. And what this leads to is basically him, well, and stomach can, and it's quite terminal. He does not have long left to live. And the film Ikiru literally means Ikiru to live in, in, in a rough English translation. And basically, that's why I really like it, because the film is fundamentally this man, this, this older Japanese man, trying to recollect his reason to live. He's trying to find reason to keep going, because as he has a death sentence, he doesn't know what to do with his life. He feels like he's almost wasted a lot of his life. So we kind of get this journey that he goes on. And I don't want to spoil that much of it. And I've said that, I think I've said that for like every film so far. Like, I don't want to spoil it. But basically, um, he meets a writer and things go really poorly. He meets, uh, he doesn't meet that many people in his journey. But the events that he goes through are really reflective of not only what his name is Watanabe. Or well, I guess like he's referred to as Watanabe. I don't know if that's his first or last name. But uh, he he basically goes through what some people, especially in the essay, it also brings up the essay that's included in the edition. Um, kind of like a Buddhist journey, 
because a lot of the beliefs of Buddhism are that you can only really live once you're about to die, because that's when you know, like when mortality, when you are at mortality's gate or whatever, when, when you're facing the end of your life is when all of the things that you valued about your life experience matter the most. So you can kind of get the most meaning once you realize that you are not long for this world. Fundamentally, Buddhists have also just kind of believed that life would have no value if we lived forever. We wouldn't be able to appreciate things because we, you know, it would just be another thing. There, If we're just immortal, you know, like objects have no value. Our experiences have no value. We're just doing things for the sake of doing them. Life itself can have more meaning than we think because of our relationship to death. And specifically, I think, and I'll just quickly, you know, like, I don't want to keep going on. This is like one of my favorite movies. What's great about Ikiru is not only does it have this amazing, amazing performance from Takashi Shimura and these amazing moments, like this, this amazing scene where like he overhears his son and daughter-in-law just kind of like talking about how he's just like this useless old bag. And he's just, we just cut to him at the stairs and he's just defeated. And it's just this legendary shot that makes me like, oh, like my heart just like stops beating for like a split second. It's just so painful. Um, it's full of moments like that, full of really emotional, rich moments. And I think that the movie itself, not to get too technical, not, not to get too, too philosophical here, but I think it's about the way that we get meaning. How do humans develop a sense of meaning? Not just like, what's the meaning of life, but like, how do we create our meanings of life? Because everyone has our own different life experiences. Um, and how or and not just that, like how does cinema create meaning? How does light how do we embody <clears throat> objects with meaning? How does meaning work? And I think that's really what it is. And the, the beauty and the beauty of it is that meaning only comes with death. There has to be a beginning and an end. Um, and during that time, meaning can only construct itself because we know there's going to be an ending. So I think that's kind of what the film is about. And it's just amazing. I I mean, granted, it's also long. It's like two and a half hours, but man, it feels longer than that. It's really depressing for like the majority of it. And it's still pretty boring. <laughs> like a lot of it is like, you know, kind of dialogue that has to do with like, you know, police per or city permits and stuff like that. But I, I think despite all of that, it really shines as like this emotional journey that this man goes on to, to find a new sense of self to, to like appreciate life again as it's leaving him. Mm. Yeah. For, for sure. This is a, this is a movie that um, I, it's a great movie about life. Like you said, um, a movie that this one reminds me of loosely. Now that I'm thinking about it is actually uh, the fire within by Louis Mal. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a great comparison. Uh, a guy who he doesn't have stomach cancer like an Icaru, but this guy basically is depressed. Um, and he, he has a plan to basically commit suicide, but he decides to live one more day before he makes a decision just to see if there's anything worth living for. Um, and that's when movie like Icaru and the fire within contrasted because Icaru is about a guy who, is going to die no matter what he he's coming he's coming down this is then it's coming where as in the fire within he has he can go on to live if he wants he just has no there's no reason for him to live mm. you know right. there's no reason for him to, to to believe in anything like that so um yeah it is a really good one man that that one is a, is uh I, I i personally think that um 
though it is extremely slow, like you, like you had actually brought up, like when I saw this movie, I had to watch it in two sittings. Um, yeah, actually, I fell asleep during like the third act. Um, <laughs> don't spoil anything that that happens, but when 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 this certain event occurs, that's when I kind of tuned out because um, it is near the third act. But uh, yeah, that one of my favorite sequences from that from that film is uh, when he's at the bar and he's playing the piano. Mm, yes sings that song and just everyone's having a everyone's having a good time everyone's just like chilling and mingling and stuff and then he starts singing and there's just this amazing shot where i think it's like it's like an overhead shot of the piano and he's sitting there and uh at first it, it, it's kind of like really quiet and then all you hear is like people laughing and stuff and then when they realize what's going on the laughter dies down and then all you hear is him singing while he's playing the piano and it, it's um i believe in the uh the essay there's a in the booklet there's like a there's a still of him in that scene where it's just a close-up of his face and he's got a tear running down his eye and just like it, it's it's amazing this oh dude mm-hmm. great, great for sure yeah yeah that that one shot like there's multiple shots of of uh shimura's face in the film that are super impactful but i agree i think that one that shot in the nightclub at the piano that might be the most i think because that scene it halts like it's so funny because like just the, they're like hey you want to request a song like everyone's dancing around it's very lively yeah. and he's just like yeah sure uh this one and they're like okay it's a slow one whatever and they start and he just starts singing it's the most depressing yeah <laughs> like, and nobody yeah. and the funny thing is that i think um nobody knows that he has stomach cancer except for him and his doctor i think yeah yeah he doesn't Which tell is- anyone yeah, he doesn't tell anybody, which makes it even sadder because then they're just like, I, I just kind of picture like, what if like there was a dude at the bar who was just looking to have like a good time that night, like it was his day off or something. And he's at the bar and he's ready to like have fun. And then there's just this old man that comes in and sits down by the piano and just playing this really sad song. And he's just like, well, that totally just killed the vibe of this place. <laughs> but um, yeah, great film. Acre, amazing, amazing, amazing uh, movie. It's good stuff. This list will be completed in part two. 